Well, I want to welcome to the program right now, Ron Howenstein and Dr. Michael Gurian from the Spokane Fatherhood Initiative. Welcome, Ron, and welcome, Dr. Gurian. Hello. Thank you. It's great to have you here. And when I uh, received the email from the, the the home office of Sacred Heart Radio saying that there's this uh, beautiful event coming up that is all about helping Christian boys thrive. And it's being sponsored by the Spokane Fatherhood Initiative, which is all about restoring the importance, honor, and dignity of fatherhood. I'm like, ooh, I am all in. Let's go. So I'm super excited to have you on, Ron, as well as you, Dr. Gurian, and you are both heavily involved in the Spokane Fatherhood Initiative. Uh, Ron, I want to start with you as the president and founder of the Spokane Fatherhood Initiative. How did that come to be? Uh, How did, uh, in your life, this bubbling up um, lead to this sense of, I need to start an initiative that's focused on the dignity and the honor and the importance of fatherhood? Thank you, Tom. I was a volunteer at the Union Gospel Missions Crisis Shelter for Homeless Women and Children for 10 years. And during that time, I saw hundreds of women with two and three and four kids, oftentimes with two and three and four different dads. So um, this was totally unlike my experience growing up in rural eastern Washington uh, in the 50s and 60s, nuclear family, uh, if a guy got a girl pregnant back in those days, he married her sometimes even the next day. And so <clears throat> there was this code of honor among men that seemed to be missing. I didn't know what the answer was. My wife and I talked and prayed and we thought the answer was marriage, but very few young single guys, you know, are interested in marrying a woman with three children uh, who doesn't have a GED and has a, an addiction history. So, which was largely, you know, a lot of the population that, that I saw there at the homeless shelter. And then <clears throat> in the, uh, April of 2012, the cover article, I believe it was, in Christianity Today was about the Richmond Fatherhood Initiative. And the headline said, where have all the fathers gone? And the the fatherlessness statistics, out-of-wedlock birth statistics in Richmond were so bad that they declared fatherlessness a public health problem, just like venereal disease, and committed public tax dollars to it. So from that, I began, the seed was planted and said, we need that for Spokane. Yeah, you know, it's um, you really you speak into my heart there. Uh, as I as I mentioned, I uh, I'm the father of nine children, and um, uh, it, when I think about the formation, the training, the very extensive amount of equipping that I received before I had my first child, that's a joke, right? I didn't. Um, it it just makes me stop and say, um, how many fathers would benefit from um, being able to, to understand more fully what it means, that, that honor, that dignity, that, that sense of vocation that comes with being a father. Um, uh, Dr. Gurian, you're, you're also heavily involved in this Helping Christians Bo- uh, Christian Boys Thrive Summit that's coming up in just a week and a half. Um, talk about your, like, what is your reason, what's your conviction that connects you into this initiative and this effort? Yeah, um, it goes back a long way. We started the the Helping Christian Boys Thrive and the Helping Boys Thrive Summits and that initiative. Uh, The Gurian Institute team and I, Pastor Tim Wright down in Phoenix and a number of our team members uh, started it about 10 years ago. 
And it, you know, it travels around the country. It's just coincidental that I live in Spokane. So um, it's great, obviously, that, that it's happening here in Spokane. Um, and the, the passion behind it is that back, back in the late 80s, early 90s, when I started um, my work, a couple things were really clear to me coming out of uh, college graduate school. Uh, one thing was clear was males and females are set up somewhat differently. And we need to understand that and use that in every walk of life, teaching, you know, church, uh, uh, corporate, everywhere. That's really, really a value. And I'm neuroscience based. So I was studying brain scans, looking at how differently the brains operate. And then the second thing that came through was boys. Already by the late 80s, early 90s, it was, it was clear that our boys were starting to fall behind. And then as the decades have progressed, they've gotten further and further and further behind. And, and if you want, uh, feel free to ask me, I'll give you some stats that do scare people. People don't realize how bad it's gotten for boys. And so about 10 years ago, um, we started this as a specific program uh, to try to work with local initiatives and, and do exactly like what Spofi is doing and Ron is doing, you know, support them, they support this. And we get the word out. A lot of people come, It you know, there's... Some people watch it, you know, afterward, and it just kind of gets into the community about boys, and then in this case, Christian boys, and what we need to do to help them. Uh, I, I am frankly really worried if we don't do more to help our boys as a culture. I'm really worried about our prospects. So that that's my passion. So um, this Helping Christian Boys Thrive Summit, it's coming up on October the 2nd. I'm going to give registration information in just a little bit, folks. But remember the website, spofi, S-P-O-F-I dot org, spofi dot org. Um, you all have uh, established this summit. It's been around for 10 years. And uh, one, of the, one of the goals is calling Christian boys to heroic manhood. And what does that mean? What's heroic manhood? Because I love it. I, I love the phrase. And I want to know what's involved in becoming a heroic man. Yes, this, um, this is like an acrostic that I, I developed, honor, um, enterprise. Uh, well, first, heroic means what it means to everybody. Heroic means, you know, the, he has a purpose, right? They have a purpose. Their purpose isn't somehow greater than the female purpose. It's nothing like that. They just have a purpose. And that purpose involves service, right? Which is what a hero is. A hero is someone with a purpose and then is serving. Uh, and um, so then I developed the acrostic from that, H-E-R-O-I-C. Hero is honor. E is enterprise. R is responsibility. O is originality. I is intimacy. And C is creativity. And uh, so then we teach a Pastor Tim, who's coming up from Phoenix to do this, we developed a rite of passage program. Um, uh, there's a secular and a, and a sacred version. A Christian version is following Jesus, a heroic quest for boys. And it uses that acrostic. So, so that, that's what heroic is. It also just means what we probably all mean by it. Purpose, service. We want to raise that kind of man. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned that there are um, a number of challenges, very distinct challenges that have become exacerbated today. They, you know, they're worse, they're harder. The, the challenges are, are, are blooming in ways that are, are very frightening. Um, I'm going to ask you, Ron, when you think about the challenges that fathers face today in raising sons, just to focus in, on that relationship in particular, um, what would be some contemporary challenges that, that fathers are facing today in, in that call to raise saintly, godly, heroic 
um, young men to enter this world um, with that with that uh, Jesus centered mission that I want to fulfill the life that He has for me. Well, let's let's be frank. Far too few fathers are involved in the lives of their children and involved in the lives of their sons. Uh, the out of wedlock birth rate today is forty percent, and among uh, women. Uh, age 30 and younger, giving birth for the first time, the out-of-wedlock birth rate is 66%. So this decline in marriages uh, and father involvement in the lives of their children is, I think, what has really disturbed Michael, uh, what he sees as, as the most disturbing trend. So you compound that, but, but let's say a father is involved in the life of his child. Well, the natural aggression that boys have because they come with this thing called testosterone is now viewed as violence uh, in, our, in our public schools. Um, men are, um, are challenged when they compliment a woman for the way she dresses. They're criticized for holding a door open for her. And then you add gender confusion to that. Uh, teachers asking boys, nine-year-old boys, are you really sure you're a boy? Uh, and it's frightening uh, what this is doing to our, our young men. So dads have a very significant challenge. Uh, in, in instilling manhood, the right kind of manhood, the heroic manhood that Michael is talking about. And I'm really deeply grateful to him for his writing and his teaching and his passion uh, in this area. So Michael, I'm going to uh, turn and ask you the same question, but I want to give you an experience that I'm having literally as we speak. So yesterday, my wife left at 630 in the morning with our seventh grade daughter for a four-day uh, science trip as part of school. So now I'm Mr. Mom at home with the five kids still in our house. And um, I had to get up super early in the morning. I worked the entire day. I got home. I had to go to a sports event with one of my kids. I got back in the door eight o'clock at night and my kids are now pecking at me. What's for dinner? And I'm like, figure it out. And then they're like, dad, I literally had three of my kids poking at me and pawing at me to help them with homework. And uh, I'm like, I'm exhausted. Where's my wife? And, and honestly, I, I had a moment of compassion and thought to myself, how does a single parent do it? How does a single mom, I just started thinking about this, single mom or single dad who's trying to raise maybe a, a, a more than one child in their home and they've got to get up, get their kids ready to school. They got to go get the kids off to school. Then they're working all day. And then all, you know, kind of playing out my story. I'm like, man, they do that. I'm whining about one day and I'm like, this is their life. And I'm like, man, I don't have a sense of uh, appreciation for the gift of an intact family an intact home. And I don't understand or, or have a sense of solidarity with the challenges, the, the, the amount of challenges and the intensity of those challenges of single parents. Yeah, it is, it is amazing. Talk about heroic people, right? I mean, single parents are really, really heroic. All that they take on, they're working full-time, they're taking care of their kids or some, some combination of that. Um, so, you know, that's the first thing to say is, is just blessings to them and they're really heroic. At the same time, the reason that the data is so severe for kids who come out of single parent homes is what you've just described, that this is one person trying to do everything and it's very, very hard. And so if, if the family, you know, if there has to be a, a divorce, um, then there's, there need to be 
some other people that are supporting that single mom. And if we're looking at this from the, we're looking at helping Christian boys thrive, if we look at it from that boy's perspective, the data for those boys who are raised in the single parent homes and, and also, you know, just don't have the equivalent support of what a dad is. So uncles, grandpas, you know, uh, whoever they, those people would be, what we call male role models, they, you know, they're more, much more likely to get into drugs and gangs and crime and go to prison and get bad grades and lower test scores and, you know, a, a litany of, of things that we don't want for them. And of course, it's not, there's no blame on the single parent. It's that the system, human beings, children, are, are by nature, the male brain and the female brain are meant to be raised in these, these close packs, what I call a three family system. And, um, and the, the father is a, a very important component of that. And if he is not around, then there gotta be some substitute fathers um, or the data isn't good. So do some kids turn out fine without a dad? Of course, anything can happen, but, but, but it's severe um, when we look at prisons and who fills our prisons. Uh, so this is a, uh, the fatherhood piece of this is an absolutely crucial piece of this. Absolutely crucial. Um, you know, I wouldn't say it is the only piece, but it is an absolutely crucial piece. Uh, and, and we have to re, but when we reinvigorate fathering, I think we're going to reinvigorate in our culture, a kind of a, a love again for males. Uh, you know, we just don't culture wide. We just don't like males much. You know, we think they're, from a culture perspective, obviously not mine or yours, but from a culture perspective, um, males, we're very afraid of males or um, they're, you know, they're just kind of bad or they're kind of inadequate or, you know, and, and we're not, we're not supporting them. And that also then moves over to not supporting fathers. So we have to turn this whole thing around. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm talking today with Dr. Michael Garian and Ron Howenstein about the helping Christian boys thrive summit that's coming up on October the 2nd. That's a Saturday. That's a week from this Saturday, October the 2nd. Uh, and it's happening right here in Spokane. And I want to have you go to a website where you're going to learn more information and you can register for this wonderful event. It's spofi.org, S-P-O-F-I, as in Spokane Fatherhood Initiative, spofi.org. I'm talking today with Dr. Michael Garian and Ron Howenstein about the Helping Christian Boys Thrive Summit, and you can register for this wonderful event. It's spofi.org, S-P-O-F-I, as in Spokane Fatherhood Initiative, spofi.org. And that, uh, that's an organization, as I mentioned, that Ron Howenstein, who's with me today, he is the president and the founder uh, of this initiative uh, in our area. Now, um, when people are listening and they're thinking, okay, I come to this event on helping Christian boys thrive, um, who's it for? Who should come? Is this something that I bring my teenage boys to? Is this for adults? Um, who is this for? And what will happen at the event, Ron? That's a great question. And, and Michael, I want Michael to, uh, to add to this too. Um, this is largely for adults. We do uh, encourage teenage boys to attend, but anybody who disciples, educates, or parents boys uh, will benefit from, from this conference. So we're talking about dads and moms, grandparents, step-parents, coaches, teachers, mentors, youth pastors, uh, men's and fatherhood ministry leaders, counselors, therapists, 
I mean, it's, it's virtually every aspect of our society would benefit from, from this teaching. Uh, Michael did a, a three-hour webinar for us back in, in February, and it was the fastest Zoom call, fastest three hours I have ever spent in my life. The, the teaching that he brings is just fascinating. And I'm really excited about what Pastor Tim Wright is, is bringing. He has some really great insights into how to make Christianity adventurous and exciting for boys. And the church has to do this. So, Michael, I don't know if you have anything to add to that about who should attend. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think you captured it. Also, we have had at, at these, we've had uh, kids come because parents will parents will say, well, we can't get a babysitter. Uh, we're going to bring them. And luckily, um, that's fine. I mean, I think that teens will get, you know, teens will get more out of it like than, than a smaller child will, right? And the smaller child is ending up drawing or just trying to keep busy while the adults are talking kind of thing. But we have had it. And we wouldn't want to say to people, don't bring them. Just, they just got to be quiet, which they, they're good people. Um, uh, we won't be saying anything that is, is not, you know, that's untoward. Um, uh, and, and I agree with Ron that teens are a nice audience for this. Uh, meanwhile, it is going to be mainly adults. And when people come, um, they're, come, anyone listening to this, come because, as Ron is saying, you're in some way connected to boys and working with boys. And come also because you like you like um, to get into the minds of these boys. You know, I'll show PET scans and spec scans, all these various brain scans in a really fun way. And keep, we'll keep people laughing, but it's great science because we can see scans now, even of the male and the female brain before they're born in utero. We can already see how differently the male and the female brain operate. So what we do is we combine science, spirit, and practical strategies. And, and so I always think, well, anyone can come for that, you know, science, spirit, and practical strategies. So if that, that's, kind of, that's what the promise we can make. You're going to get a lot of all of those. And that's, again, that's coming up on, uh, it's on Saturday, October the 2nd. It begins at 8.30 in the morning, and it goes until 4 in the afternoon. And it's at Valley Real Life. And that's on South Barker Road in Green Acres, Washington. Again, go to spofi.org, and you'll have a page there that'll let you see the event, this Helping Christian Boys Thrive Summit, spofi.org, and you'll be able to register right there on that page. It gives you the information about this event coming up on October the 2nd. Um, Ron, you, Ron is waving me down here because he has critical information <laughs> that must not be missed. So Ron, I'm going to just say, what is it that needs to be said right now? Just in case there's someone in your audience who cannot attend on that date, they can pay a reduced fee and have access to a recording of the conference for the, the week following the conference. I don't know if you were heading that direction, Tom, or not, but I, that was, that's a critical point. I can make that up and say, of course I was. There's post-event video only registration. Look at that. I do see it on the registration page. I've scrolled down further. And so now I got access to that information. Ron, you got to be quick in this business, man. I've been, this is not my first rodeo here, uh, but I think that is super cool. Um, when I um, went and I started to examine the, um, the Helping Christian Boys Thrive Summit, um, one of the things that just jumped out at me was this idea of, of recognizing like these eight key needs, right? And, and one of these key needs is protecting the emotional lives of boys. And I saw that and I'm thinking, you know what, that is, that is a really... Um, it sparked my interest because when I think about 
the uh, like the the natural sensitivity that a, a dad would have towards the emotional life of his son, there may not be a lot of like um, background formation uh, or um, maybe um, the way that we were brought up as sons ourselves. Now we're fathers is going to be related to how we were fathered. And so I think about the, some of the gaps that exist in the lives of parents and the lives, especially of fathers trying to be a good father to their sons and helping to raise them. Um, I think that some of the default settings are, well, I want to help my son be tough. I want to help my son compete. I want to help my son uh, take charge. I want to help my son, um, you know, don't cry, right? So all of a sudden, this idea of having a mature, nuanced understanding of an emotional life of a boy and help that boy integrate his emotions into an authentic manhood, I'm like, man, I could use some more help. So, Michael, how are you going to help me here? Yeah. Well, I look at it with folks through various angles. And one one angle is that that we define emotional development in a very limited way culturally. Um, And if we expand what we mean by the emotional development of boys, what we find is that dads and moms and everyone, they're actually doing more than they think. If we narrowly define emotional life as emotional life means you, when I ask you, you have to tell me what you feel. If that's what we mean by emotional life, that's pretty narrow. Um, But it is kind of what we often mean in our culture by emotional life. Uh, And my argument is, and I, I, I talk to, you know, show people brain scans and help people understand that the emotional lives of boys doesn't look exactly like the emotional lives of girls. Uh, We're all human. Obviously, there's a lot of overlap, but um, males are are more likely, you know, feelings are supposed to be experienced, expressed, and expelled, right? That's, that's, I have a feeling, I experience it, I express it, and then I expel it. And um, uh, if I've been traumatized, then that process takes quite a long time because I, to experience, express, and expel could take a year or two of therapy. Um, but that, that's what feelings are doing in us. And males do tend to do that much more than we realize. They tend to, they'll experience it briefly, quick burst. They'll express it. Often they'll do it in a way that's like, you know, uh, they'll, they'll bang against something or something, and then they expel it. And so one point I make about the emotional lives of boys is they're actually doing better than we think because they are, they, even if they, you know, aren't going to cry at 15 as much as a girl is, and it's, it's a pretty rare boy at 15 who will cry as much as a girl simply because prolactin is a different hormone and prolactin controls tear gland production and females um, have 60% more of it. And so, you know, all through their lifespan, they are going to tend to cry more than boys are um, as, once puberty hits. So, um, so even though he doesn't cry at 15, I want to target when I help people to understand his emotional life, I want to target the number of people involved with him, who is involved with him. If there's, uh, I call it bi-strategic and multi-strategic parenting. If there are three or four people involved in his emotional life, you know, mom is probably going to be obviously right there. Um, let's say dad as well, dad, father figure. If dad is not around, then maybe there's grandma, grandpa, there's coach, there's counselor, there's, then it's his peers, right? And he's emotional with his peers. Um, I want to make sure he's got those attachments because if he has those attachments and those bonds, then his emotional life is probably going to do quite well. I don't worry about teaching boys to be tough. I think it's very important to teach them to be tough and resilient because by tough, I mean resilient, uh, right? I'm a psych person, so resilient. 
And I think resilient, everyone needs to be resilient, male, female. I have two grown daughters. I taught them to be resilient. So yeah, we want them to be tough, but, and they have to be tender. And so part of what, what we, what we talk about is balancing. And if we've got the personnel around them, you know, mom, dad, two or three other people who are constantly involved in their emotional life, they are going to develop well emotionally and they're going to develop because they get these different strategies. They're going to develop good problem solving for their emotions. They're going to develop the ability to discuss their emotions and to process them. Um, what I don't want is for it all to fall on one person. And I think that's the mistake we make in studying male emotional life. One person, it's usually the mom, thinks I am responsible for this boy's emotional development. And I have not, he is not crying enough. I have not done a good job. And my message is no, no, no. Surround him with these people. And, and especially when he's like 15 and he's separating from mom, she can trust that that emotional life is going to develop. But part of this making sense is we have to remember that boys don't do emotions, especially by nine and 10, when puberty hits, the emotional structure is different because the brain is different and the hormones are different. So not to say nothing of the acculturation, obviously there's difference there, but it's mainly brain and hormones. So um, uh, we don't want to put it all on mom. We want to have these other people involved and trust that three family system. And it, you know what? It works. That's really awesome. That's uh, Dr. Michael Gurian today, along with uh, Ron Howenstein from the Spokane Fatherhood Initiative talking about this Helping Christian Boys Thrive Summit beginning uh, happening on October the 2nd. That's a Saturday, 8.30 in the morning until 4 in the afternoon at Valley Real Life in Greenacres. Go to spofi.org to learn more about the event. Spofi.org. I'm talking today with Dr. Michael Garian and Ron Howenstein about the Helping Christian Boys Thrive Summit. Um, Michael, you're talking about the, the emotional lives of boys, and, and you said a couple of things that made me jump out and think about the fact that these are the ones whom God has created, right? They're not just natural beings, they're created beings. God created us male and female. And so the dimension of Christian, the, the dimension of faith, um, I'm going to guess that that's going to play a pretty crucial role here in helping parents and, and other adult leaders who are attempting to disciple uh, boys into heroic men um, to be able to, to tackle the challenges they face and to accomplish the mission that they have. So here we are, we're on this um, Catholic radio station. Talk a bit about the dimension of faith and how that plays a role in these summits so that um, parents who are coming and other adult leaders who are coming will have a sense of how their own faith is going to be engaged in this great work. Yeah, I think faith is just absolutely crucial in this context. So most of my work, I, I'm Jewish, by the way, I'm not Christian, but I'm Catholic educated because I'm a Gonzaga, I'm a Gonzaga grad. So Jesuit is still Catholic, you know, right? Uh, <laughs> I, I remember the jokes from my Gonzaga days. So I, I'm a graduate of Gonzaga, of Gonzaga, and then I taught there for six years. So um, and I'm Jewish. I mean, I kind of walk in various spaces. And then, hey, and, Jesus was Jewish, too. So and Jesus was Jewish. I know. I, always, I can always come to that. Um, and then I, I got to stop. There's the, there's the Catholic joke, right? Jesus was Jewish, but not Mary. Not, not, no, but no. she was Catholic. <laughs> she was Catholic. And that's fine. I mean, it's all good. So, so, but we do these, you know, helping Christian boys thrives. We do them because we all believe, we all know from our different perspectives, how important faith is. 
And in all of our, so when I look at this with people, the history of these faith communities and how they were invested in the, in the lives of boys, uh, you know, we look at, so we'll stay with Judeo-Christian here for a moment. We'll stay with the Torah or the Old Testament, the Bible, then the New Testament, right? Pentateuch and all of that. We put all that together. What I see are two, two documents, which are one document, the Bible, that are really about mentoring, to a great extent, are about mentoring males. To, and, and, you know, their, their flaw for contemporary life is there's not enough female in them. And that has, that has to get fixed. Uh, I, 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 I get that. They are patriarchal documents. But at the same time, they, they are trying to mentor males to be good men. And all, you know, Abraham and Isaac and Joseph, you know, all of these stories and the parables are trying to get these guys to be loving, wise and successful men. And for me, that's what a man is. When people ask me, what is a man? A man is a loving, wise and successful male adult. So he's going to be a male adult because nature, as you say, God has created him. Nature will make him an adult. That's going to happen. Will he be loving, wise and successful? That's the man part. Uh, and I do think that our faith traditions are always trying to do that for males. And I hope what I hope is that people come to this and they feel like, oh, OK, yes, boys need to be fully integrated into whatever is the faith system, not in an authoritarian way, because authoritarian backfires, but in an authoritative way, in an authoritative way, which is also what we want fathers and mothers to be not authoritarian, but authoritative. And um, if we do it from that perspective, I think it helps a lot. And then Pastor Tim, he'll actually talk about, which I am, I cannot speak to as a Jew, but he can speak to kind of the, the faith shifts uh, in Christianity around, is Jesus more masculine? Is Jesus more feminine? You know, and, and, I, and Ron might be able to speak to that because he's heard Tim speak to that. Tim does an amazing thing with that. You know, it's, uh, and Ron, do you want to pick up on that? Well, yeah, first of all, uh, <clears throat> Spofi is a faith-based nonprofit. We, our goal is to change the culture um, following the teachings of, of Jesus Christ. Um, uh, Tim is deeply concerned, Pastor Tim, about the feminization of the church. And so he's got a great uh, lesson, if you will, a great teaching for all of us. Um, about how to make churches more masculine. And he says, when we do that, we don't lose women. <clears throat> Making church more attractive to men does not chase women away. The opposite, however, is true. When church becomes feminized, men don't want to attend. They don't want to hold hands. They don't want to express their feelings, their deep, deep feelings through prayer. They don't like to listen to the same song for 17 minutes, you know, <clears throat> and uh, they don't like dry sermons. So um, he's, he's got a great message on, on how to make Jesus exciting and, and how to make church more attractive to men. Uh, in our fatherhood classes, we play a, a video that as men on the street interviews, when does a boy become a man? And the answers that our students say strike them the most is uh, they follow a theme that a boy becomes a man when he, when he begun, begins to care about someone else. Well, that's the message of Christianity. It's servant leadership, uh, sacrifice others before self. Christ came to serve, not to be served. And so um, th that's all part of, of what um, this teaching, this um, October 2 event is going to be about. That's Ron Howenstein, the president and founder of the Spokane Fatherhood Initiative, spofi.org, the sponsors of the October 2nd event at Valley Real Life in Green Acres. 
from 8.30 in the morning until four in the afternoon, Helping Christian Boys Thrive Summit with uh, Dr. Michael Gurian and this uh, pastor coming up all the way, Pastor Tim coming up from uh, Phoenix, Arizona. Um, Michael, you mentioned, uh, you have this rich background in, um, in brain science and understanding hormones and the other ways that these things are all operating inside of young people and, and the distinctions between boys and girls and all of this. Um, one of the things that um, is most concerning to my wife, Carrie, and me is around the, um, the use of the internet, mm-hmm. um, smartphones, uh, other devices that, connect, that are connected to the internet, video games, and, and just, again, the, the constant pull towards devices. And, and it seems to us that this is a type of challenge that, I, I don't know, I guess I call it unprecedented, but the enormity of it, the seriousness of it, the, uh, the, the toxicity that is and damage that can come from it. It just seems to me that most parents like are only like just casually aware of it, but are not engaged in really addressing it. So from your standpoint, an author of 28 books, a very rich, deep understanding of brain science, what say you about uh, the, the place that smartphones and internet uh, and other connected devices play in the lives of young, po- uh, young people today, especially boys? Mm-hmm. All right. I'm gonna. I, in two or three minutes, I'm gonna. I'm gonna say a lot because I'll talk fast. But I'm gonna say to people that that uh, saving our sons and the minds of girls, which are my most recent books, have huge sections on this with all the footnotes, helping people to be able to do their own research and see what I'm about to say that it is it is true and that and the implication of what you're saying, uh, which is we got to be really careful with this stuff because of the way it's affecting the brain. And I will talk about this at Helping Christian Boys Thrive. Absolutely. Um, so the brain, the, the, our brains are set up to develop naturally. Um, uh, and, you know, by God, we can say absolutely, right? Each of us comes in with this template of, of, of our brain and our brain is going to develop. And I talk about nurturing the nature. We got to figure out what is the nature of this child and nurture that. We do that. That's going to be a successful adult. Well, the nature of this child does not include uh, using screens at two years old, right? So when parents are handing a, a child, a two-year-old, their smartphone, which I see in airports a lot because I travel and speak. And so I see this in airports and I just want to run right up to those parents and say, don't give your child that smartphone to play with. Um, what they don't realize is that brain is not set up for that. So what the, it's going to traumatize the brain in some ways. The images will move too fast for that two-year-old's brain, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and so... Uh, that's why we have these. I'm actually interested steps. in the et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Tell me more. I want to know more. Well, this I'm going like... to move to like five year olds, but I'll tell okay. you. Well, yeah. Well, they're, they're, um, certain parts of their brain are not going to develop because these parts of their brain need to develop to catch these fast moving images. And then the fast moving images um, affect the dopamine in their brain, which is the reward chemical. And dopamine is what's used. The brain uses dopamine to help it to fill in the the connectivity between the midbrain and the top of the brain, right? Most thinking is going on in the top of the brain and maturing, maturation being mature involves, right? A lot of thinking attached to emotions, right? And, um, uh, and it's dopamine that the brain uses to do that fill in. And if the dopamine is already being affected by these images for a two-year-old, then a three-year-old, then a four-year-old, right? Um, then it's not constructing the brain the way that brain is templated 
to be constructed, it's going to really create thick bundles in certain areas, but leave other areas as gaps or blank. And, and the reason I said et cetera is that, you know, this will continue at three, four, five, six, seven. So, so like when our kids were growing up, obviously I had all the research. And so we were extra vigilant and we were like, okay, you can watch Barney. So I don't know if Barney exists anymore. My kids are 31 and 28, but, but, you know, Barney really slow moving images, right? They're songs. They're not moving fast. And that's really crucial. Uh, so, um, but no media, we didn't give them any screens until there were like three because we needed to get past that hump where you really don't want screens early on. And then, you know, here's a half hour and then, okay, now we get to five. Okay. Now. Yeah. A, a Disney movie once in a while. Okay. Um, an animated Disney movie. Right. So it has to be what parents have to do is learn about it and then control it as a part of parenting, not be anti-media, not be anti-internet. The internet's great. Uh, it's just to, take it along with brain development. And that's why I talked about saving our sons and minds of girls. I lay it out over every two years. So from birth all the way to 21, every two years, here are standards you can follow in your parenting to protect that brain. Um, the overall message is, and I, and I will again speak about this at the event, the overall message is we as parents have to protect that brain development and we get great gains later. You know, we put up with a little hassle from our kids when we say, well, you can't have a smartphone until you're 13. And they'll hassle us because some friend has a smartphone, but then, you know, we'll hold our authority. We'll say, here's the research. This is why I want you to turn out well. And uh, this is what it's going to do to your brain. If you have a smartphone at nine and, and, you know, and then they wait till 13. So it's just, it's that it's about doing that and being really focused on that, not a being about being anti-media in any way. No, no, I get it. I get it. And in fact, um, one of the things that I, I'm thinking of is, like what's at stake in this? Like you talked about impact on the brain. And so let's imagine that you're going to take a much more typical case where someone has not been as vigilant as you and has allowed their kids to have, let's say, sort of kind of free reign in terms of, um, oh, hey, here's the easiest babysitter in the world. My kid is complaining right now. Just let him get on my smartphone and watch a video. And then they're going to carry around their little iPad. Then they're going to play their video game. And then they're going to be on the laptop watching the shows. And, and, and growing up with that, what's at stake in that? Like what happens to that kid's brain when that kid now, like, so smartphones are what, 14 years old. Uh, imagine you have a kid that was born in 2005 and basically has lived their, the, part of the iGen, lived their whole lives with screens. And that's impacted their very consciousness. What's the difference physiologically to that brain? Yeah. Um, in answering that, I want to say that there's going to be some 14-year-old who was brought up on, you know, media seven hours a day and turned out fine. So mm -hmm. I want to, we should all admit that, that anything can happen. But sure. in the main, what we're going to find is that, 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 you know, three or four hours on the screen at two or three or five, and then that moved into six or seven hours by the time they're 10, 11, and 12. Uh, what we should start seeing, you know, in adolescence is lethargy, ennui, anxiety, depression, attention deficit disorder, um, uh, attention deficit hyperactive disorder, uh, the triggering of other brain disorders, uh, then failure to launch. Um, you know, that, that, that now he's 16 and he's playing three hours of video games a day. So now that, that really fools the dopamine in his brain. So he's going to be less likely in the main, there'll be an exception somewhere, but less likely 
on average, that guy to go out and live with purpose, to go get good grades, to do what he's supposed to do, you know, um, to even to do his chores. He's just, he is going to be stuck in that world. And by the time he's 18, he probably will put off going to college and nothing wrong with a gap year, but then he's 19. And he's, well, I think I'll put it off another year. And, you know, and on and on it goes. He just, and then he's 30 and he really is not a person of accomplishment. He's not a person uh, uh, of that purpose and service that we want for him. So what's at stake is the development of a man, in my opinion. So I just, again, parents, I hope you're hearing this. Like if we took anything else, like take out the concept of phone and um, internet connected devices, just take all that out and just put in X. Here's what X will do to your kids' lives. This is what they'll do to their brains. If you give your kid an overexposure and regular ongoing exposure to this reality called X, these are all the negative impacts it's going to have on their lives. What would parents say? Tell me what it is, because I'm going to get that right out of their life. And then when you say to them, it's too much access to the internet and too much access to uh, un, un, uh, un, unqualified access and unmanaged access to the internet on connected devices, then parents are like, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I don't know how to deal with that. So for me, this is one of the, the most um, pressing issues of today for parents yep. is helping them realize what's at stake in letting their kids have unfettered access to their own smartphones and other connected devices and the impact it has physiologically among all the other dangerous impacts. And, and you're saying that, uh, Michael, that these are, these are things that are, have been tracked. This is not just theory that kids will have these negative effects. You're saying that sociologically studies have been done, research has been done, and this is actually happening. Yeah. In fact, neurobiology, I mean, even going deeper than, than sociology, right? Sociology uses small sample sizes and, and uh, it's, it's, a, it's a really valid, what we call soft science. I use more hard science and hard science. I'm, I'm you know, looking at the brain. And um, when we move even deeper into that hard science, then it's even more scary because you're absolutely right. It has a neurobiological effect, neurological effect, physiological effect on the brain, and it creates gaps. And there are there, like for boys, especially since we're talking about helping Christian boys thrive for boys, especially when they get excess of screen time, um, what the male brain tends to sacrifice is the very social emotionals that we started our conversation out with today. Right. Or in, we were talking about the social emotional development of boys, those boys who are playing three hours of video games a day. Um, they have smartphones at 10, they're playing three hours of video game, you know, so they're on screens like six, seven hours. And then of course, COVID added screen time, of course, because of education. So, you know, you got six, eight hours on that screen and he's 12. Um, what male brain tends to sacrifice is, is the linkage for social emotionals. So that's part of why you are more likely for that boy to later, you know, to be depressed, to be anxious, to um, also to be under-motivated, which is a scary, a lot of parents have under-motivated teen sons now. And um, this is part of why. So, so that's because their brain has been affected. And um, uh, it isn't because they somehow are, well, look, he's unmotivated. He lacks character. One could see it through that lens if one wanted to, but what I try to do is try to figure out 
when did he start on screens, you know, and how much of his day is on screens? Okay, that's why he's under motivated, because his brain had to put a gap there in certain kinds of development in order to do the survival functioning and to build a certain kinds of visual spatial functioning, which you need for the screen, but therefore gaps in social emotional. That, that's what's at stake. Well, uh, that's Dr. Michael Garian sharing with us today on Sound Insight about this Helping Christian Boys Thrive Summit. And I really appreciate you willing uh, to kind of take this little detour with me into a theme that will be discussed more fully. And Dr. Garian, he's the author of at least 28 books. You mentioned another one or two. So I don't know if it's beyond 28 now. Uh, but Ron, the website says 28. Well, maybe if I scroll down, it'll bring me up to 30. But um, that's great. Uh, Right. My website says 32. 32. Okay. Well, there's a, there's a place on there that says 20. So somewhere between 28 and 32 books. Uh, I read 32 pages in the last year. So Michael's written 32 books. So this is awesome. Um, so I, I love the insight that you're sharing with us today. And folks, that's just an encouragement to come out to the summit happening here in Green Acres. Green Acres, just right near Spokane Valley um, at, on October the 2nd, Saturday the 2nd, 8.30 in the morning until four in the afternoon at Valley Real Life uh, here in, in, in the Spokane area. Uh, and I'm also with Ron Howenstein, who is the, uh, the sponsoring group for this wonderful Helping Christian Boys Thrive Summit. He's the founder and president of the Spokane Fatherhood Initiative. I'm talking today with Dr. Michael Garian and Ron Howenstein about the Helping Christian Boys Thrive Summit, um, a theme that also shows up today that raises like a, a question mark or puts in quotes, the idea that you're focusing on boys is this gender theory, gender confusion. And I'm wondering, is this an issue that will be talked about today because I think about boys and, and you alluded to it um, earlier in, in our interview where boys are being asked, you know, in nine years old, you know, are you sure you're a boy? Um, so uh, Dr. Gurian, uh, in your own research, talk a little bit about this reality that male and female God created us. And how does that actually show up in terms of um, gender theory? How do those two fit together or not? Yeah. Well, if it's, it's part of it is that we have a confusion yep. in the culture about dealing, about talking about these things. So sex, which is what we're going to be dealing with boys and girls, right? Men and women, males and females, that's sex. And that's sex on the brain. So because our uh, and, and obviously, and God created us man and woman, it fits perfectly with that. This is where science and spirituality or science and religion meet very, very well, because it is absolutely true that uh, taking it from just the biology point of view, it is absolutely true that there are two options. There's male and there's female. That's at the level of sex. And that is what we will be dealing with. If people ask me questions about gender though, yeah, I'll answer their questions. I'm glad to answer them. There's a lot of research. Gender is where we have that other conversation, which is, well, you know, I think I'm gender non-conforming or I think I'm gender non-binary. I don't wanna be held to being male or female. I want this, um, some gender fluidity. And that's that's absolutely fine. I mean, it's a it's a, free country, right? It's they absolutely anyone who wants to say that can say that it doesn't change sex. 
And the, what I think we've had a problem in pop culture, uh, in media and social media, especially over the last like two or three years, because everything has changed to gender, right? So every, people even say they're going to have a gender reveal party to reveal whether they had a boy or a girl. Well, that's incorrect. It's a sex reveal party, right? There's, a one-year-old doesn't know gender. A one-year-old knows sex. A one-year-old is operating out of a male body and a male brain, female body and a female brain. Later, as that child maybe starts moving toward puberty or other things are happening in the child's life, the child will start wondering, well, I'm kind of in the middle though. Am I really male? Am I really female? And then we get in a gender conversation. Um, uh, but on our gametes, right, we have male and female are what are on our reproductive gametes and they're the only two options. So that's why we have 3.5 or 3.6 billion males in the world and 3.6 billion females in the world. But, but we do wanna say that, and I'll say this when I, I say it everywhere I go, there are 3.6 billion ways to be male, right? There isn't one way to be male. And there are 3.6 billion ways to be female. So there is what we call a spectrum of what is male and what is female. Like we have three males on this call. We are not alike, right? We're male, but we are not the same as each other. So, so yes, there's variety in what is male and what is female. And yes, when kids get older, um, you know, into the teens, we can start having that conversation with them if they want about gender, but they're still going to be male and female. And so getting to the point that Ron brought up about a nine-year-old being asked, are you sure you're a boy? That's, in my opinion, an incorrect way for the teacher to do it. And that's because the teacher isn't trained, wasn't trained well enough in sex and gender. The teacher went to a workshop that was only about gender, right? That didn't include sex. So in that workshop, the teacher comes out saying, oh, I'm now supposed to ask everyone what their gender is. What the teacher should do uh, to be really more science-based is to say, okay, you are boys, you are girls. Um, and uh, what are your questions about that? You know, and then they might say, well, you know, I'm kind of like, I developed a term for uh, gender fluidity about 25 years ago, studying the brain, it's bridge brains. So that's the term I developed to try, because there are people who know they're not ultra male and they're not ultra female, you know, they're kind of in the middle. And so I developed the term bridge brain to help. So kids can be, you know, kids are, all kids are male and female. And then there's this other variety they can talk about. And that's how I'll come at it because that is the real science-based way to come at it. Mm -hmm. So Ron, um, I uh, really appreciate the fact that you are putting on this event and bringing uh, Dr. Gurian uh, here. It's a, it's a blessing that he's local. Um, Ron, when you think about the goals you have for the Helping Christian Boys Thrive Summit, uh, it's coming up on October the 2nd at Valley Real Life in Green Acres, 8.30 in the morning till 4 in the afternoon at spofi.org to register. What would you say are the, the hopes that you have for the folks that come? Um, they walk through this day with Dr. Gurian and Pastor Tim. Uh, what would you say are, the, are the, the goals or the hopes for those as they're walking out the door? Well, one is I hope people will be in encouraged. That there's a lot of, um, I think, threats to common sense and truth today, and and people um, have become uneasy about the, the popularity of some of these ideas. Um, we our T-shirt you mentioned uh, this slogan: "Restoring the importance, honor, value, and dignity of fatherhood." We have that on on the backs of our T-shirts, and a, a woman stopped me the other day and said, where did you get that? She said, that message is exactly what our nation needs. 
And I think there's this hunger for truth. And so there's very few uh, highly educated and respected authorities in our country today, like Dr. Goering, who are saying sex is binary. It's male and female, end of discussion. Gender is fluid. And I think that's a very intelligent approach to take to this. So I want, I think people are going to be encouraged that there's lots of other people who think the way I do. And there is someone out there speaking truth and standing up for things that they know are important to civilization and society, that manhood and fatherhood are essential elements uh, of our culture today. Um, and secondly, and perhaps just as important, is they're going to get practical tips. Uh, Michael's teaching and Tim's teaching both uh, are loaded with that. Uh, I encourage people to go to his book table and buy Saving Our Sons uh, if you really want to do a deep dive into this, but you know, go to Green Institute online and, and follow his blogs, and, and there's just tremendous practical information there um, that will be encouraging, enlightening, and, and give you something to put to use right away. So those would be two things. What, what we're lacking in is what's the follow-up? What's the next step? Because I know we're going to have dozens of people saying, I want more. So we're brainstorming about that, praying about it right now. Well, and Dr. Gurian, I'll give you the last word here. Um, you've done these summits now for 10 years. And so when you think about the fruits that you've seen for attendees um, on their own lives, on their own, being fathers and on the lives of those uh, boys that have uh, been un uh, come under the influence and the impact of these events, is there a story to tell? Do you have an anecdote? I'm sure you've received letters and emails from folks who've attended to just describe the, the blessing and the benefit that's come from attending uh, these Helping Christian Boys Thrive Summits. Yeah, you know, two, two, two kind of stories. One story is people often come and they say, oh, I understand myself and my spouse much better. Yeah. Um, you know, it's about helping Christian boys thrive, but of course, we're going to be talking about male and female and, and, and all the spectrum and the gradations of male and female. And so people are, are um, uh, they'll find in their marriage or their couple relationship, um, uh, they'll say, wow, okay, now I'm not, like, like an example is I'll show scans of how the male and the female brain um, go to rest states differently. And so quite often, uh, moms or women will write and say, okay, now that I've seen those scans, I don't approach my husband um, at the same time. I now let his brain go to a rest state and then I approach him. And, you know, so these very practical things will come out of it. And then in terms of the boys, um, stories I hear uh, quite consistently are, okay, wow, now I understand how much emotional development my boys are doing through rough and tumble play. They don't have to use as many words as me. This is often moms. They don't have to use as many words as me, but they're still growing emotionally. Now I get that. And then moms will say, and, and now I get how to get them to talk to me about what they feel. Because of course, we'll be looking at it from both angles. Um, so anecdotally, uh, those are some comments I, I get a lot, you know, via email after an event. That's awesome. And, and I got the sort of indirect invitation that I need to bring my wife, Carrie, and we need to go and, and prove the, I, it was really good. That was, I like You'll have you fun. That. No, seriously. People, you'll laugh a lot. You'll have a lot of fun. She'll have a yeah. lot of fun too. <laughs> I believe that. I do believe that. Ron, okay. I, I said I was going to give Dr. Gurian the last word, but you're waving at me again. So I guess you get the last, last word. The price goes up Monday, Tuesday. Okay. Okay. Uh, he's the last day to register for in-person $40. Uh, after that, it's going to be $60. At the door, it's going to be $70. So if you want to save some money, uh, be sure to register by midnight Monday. Um, 
and the, the and bring price groups. for bring and groups. The, yes. And the price for the recording only is 30 bucks. So which I think is a tremendous value to have access to four or five hours of great teaching uh, for thirty dollars. Well, yeah, and you can get all that information by going to spofi, S-P-O-F-I dot org, spofi dot org, and you'll see a link to the events. And then you click on that and it'll take you right to the Helping Christian Boys Thrive Summit. Well, I want to thank you, Ron, and thank you, uh, Dr. Gurian, for taking time with me today on Sound Insight. It was a really uh, invigorating conversation. I really appreciate you sharing so generously with me today. Thank you, John. Thank you.